What is God's intent for those in covenant with him? And has it changed? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk and walk it too. You want to kick us off, Chris? Sure. Dad joke right into it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to waste any time. Well, actually, we're going to waste a lot of time in this episode, probably. But Right. What is the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Hmm. I got nothing. I got nothing. They raised Cain. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's pretty good. That was, all, that right. was, that good. was all right. That was pretty good. I'll give it to you. And what's a bonus is I also found my one for next week, so I'm not going to ruin it. I'm excited. <laughs> it's a lot of build up. It is. So yeah. better. Mm. Oh, week's worth of tension. It's there. not that good. No, oh, okay. it's not worth a week's worth of tension. Say, it better be don't, pretty good. Don't tune in for that because you'll probably turn the you'll probably turn the podcast off after it. <laughs> So before we get into our open discussion, I want to make a promise to you guys and to those of you listening to not be a hot rambling mess like I was the last 30 minutes or so of last week's episode. That was tough for me to edit, I'll be honest with you. That's the most unhappy I've been with myself since we started doing this. Did you listen to it? Did you re-listen to it? Yeah. I mean... You guys carried me. Uh, I'll be honest with you. You guys carried the discussion. I don't think I don't you know. Rescued if you were, the episode. I don't know if you were rambling, but I mean, you were. I, I mean, even sitting here talking, I was like, he's talking fast. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, he's got a lot. Yeah, to get I wouldn't in. call it rambling. It was just like I think you were like you get knowing you, like you get excited about it, and mm-hmm. you're wellspring of knowledge, and you're like trying to get it out. And yeah, you just talk fast. See, that's that's it. There's like. I'm, it's hard for me to focus in on a topic and stay there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like there's so much information that I want to share and like I'll get sidetracked real easy. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that I kind of need to clarify, I think, especially after listening to last week's episode. So I've been talking a lot about things like God's intent, right? Uh, and the shift and the marriage covenant, phrases like that. And I even talked to Mike about this, you know, who's not with us today. He's right. out of town. Shame on him going to see his family. But anyway, <laughs> we even talked about this, that, you know, like he was kind of like chewing on it after the fact, like, what did you mean by his intent? Cause he's like, you know, and he's right. That could be taken one of two ways. And one way is not a great way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I think he was concerned that people might interpret what I was saying as it's okay to disobey him as long as your intent's good, which is not at all what I was, what I was saying. Right. Right. I'm talking about God's intent for us. Right. Not our intent in serving God, his intent for us and his relationship with us. And I think these things need to be clarified. And that's that's sort of what we're going to do. Like I've been chewing on this for the last few days. And and you guys know we had planned on talking about something completely different today. Yeah. And I really yeah. mulled on it last minute. And I'm like, you know, I think we need to take a step back and really like focus in on this stuff. Like last week we talked about that marriage covenant, pointing back to that covenant at Oreb. Right. And how I believe the third day pointed to that. 
I think we need to expand on that. And that's what we're going to do. So, so my plan is we're going to have two separate series of topics over the course of the next few weeks. So the course of the next five, six weeks, probably starting with this week in a series on the intent. We're going to talk about that intent, the shift, the covenant, what I mean by all that, and, and really dig into scripture on it. There's going to be a lot of scripture reading through this, right? But plenty of discussion too. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but I, I really want to read a lot of these scriptures out so that we're all on the same page on what I'm talking about. Right. And then we'll follow that up with a series on the deception, how the enemy tries to pull us away from God's intent for us. Right. So that's, that's sort of where we're going to be at. And as we get into this, I do want to, to mention four sort of ground rules as we go into these series of topics. Um, two ground rules, and it'll be sort of like a baseline for the undercurrent of the study, right? And the, and the right. discussions that we have. And two will be based on where, where we're at on scriptural understanding of like our identity. Cause I don't want to rehash some of these things because there's things that we've talked about in the past. Right. And two ground rules on my focus on this and, and my intent, <laughs> right? Okay. And digging into this. And the first is we are Israel. So, so when we talk about Israel mm-hmm. through this study, that's us, right. right? This, this is what God calls his covenant people, both natural born and grafted in Gentiles. We've talked about that in the past. Uh, we're not a separate entity called the church. I'm not digging on using the word church, but that's really not the most biblical word to use. It's an ecclesia, we're an assembly. So we are the assembled host of Israel, right. biblically speaking, mm-hmm. right? When he talks about his people, Israel, he's talking about us. So just that baseline there, I want to I want to cover that. And just when when we mention things like that, that's what we mean. Do you okay. happen to remember what episode that was? We we went through that Ooh. where we grafted into the tree. Oh, I wish I did because that was when I was going through a phase of not really naming episodes in a way uh-huh. that made the most sense. I named yeah. them to be witty. <laughs> yeah, and now it makes it hard I to remember. Say, what, I want to say that was with. around the the new PG thirteen maybe PG thirteen. I was going to say because I remember talking of, when we talked about it. We were in your parents' basement. Yeah, that was so, the new PG-13. So that was the new, one, of those, one of those episodes around then yeah. would have been where we talked about how you know we Gentiles were even grafted into the, to the tree, of, you know, the tree of Israel. Right, so. and I forget, the, I forget the individual scripture references that say that, that this, right. this law is for you and the native-born, or for the native-born and the, the, the sojourner dwelling among you. But it also is, it's, it's Romans 11. Okay. You know, read Romans 11 when he's talking about the tree. That's all of us. Like he's talking about the natural gr- branches, the the unnatural branches. We're all grafted into the same tree, right? That same tree is is Jesus. It's Israel. It's, oh, yeah. That's who we are. I'm glad you called out the scripture because that's probably better than going back and listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't pay attention to don't, our rambling. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't go back it's, to it's our Bible. opinion. Yeah, read, focus on read the Bible. Scripture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Number two. Uh, the law of Christ. Broadly speaking, the law of Christ is not some new nebulous standard that church leaders get to progressively redefine at their own whims and the whims of their congregations. I, I, I want to say that right now. When we say the law of Christ, we're talking about his law, the laws that he gave, right? right. Some of those are, are relevant to us in a new covenant context. Some maybe not as much like temple related laws, right? But too often that phrase is misused to just sort of redefine morals, mm-hmm. right? Oh, the law of Christ. It doesn't, you know, we don't have to worry about these things anymore. When I say the law of Christ, I'm talking about the law of God. It's the same thing, right? Okay. Number three, you guys remember last week, last week's episode, I mentioned the unifying theory of two plus two. Mm-hmm. 
kind of remember that. It's a that writing technique. I believe God uses it a lot in Scripture. It's, it's essentially just to rehash it. You give the audience two and two, right? You give them all the information they need to arrive at four without actually telling them explicitly four, right? That's sort of going to be my, and I'm going to do my best to, to, to obey that theory, I guess. Right. I don't want to be preachy, yeah. right? <clears throat> I don't want to tell you this is what you should believe because I'm not right about everything, right? My, my intent is to give you all the information you need to arrive at the correct sum total. What you do with that is up to you, right? I know what I've done with it, but what you do with that is up to you. I just want to give you the information from Scripture and and through history that you need yeah. to arrive at the correct sum. I basically. like using that technique a lot. I actually. think it's best. Yeah, people don't respond well when they're told what to do or what to believe. Right. I don't. I Most of you I listening don't. probably yeah. don't. It's yeah. you know, and we're all flawed. We're all human. The, the best thing is to give the information that God gives us and just go with that. Right. <laughs> do your best to apply that to the best of your understanding, but always test your understanding against the Word of God. Always test your understanding against the word right. and be willing to shift if the word tells you to. Right. 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 Number four, these topics will be tough to swallow for some people, right? At different points. Yep. Including us. Yep. Including us. Yeah. I I can tell you when he was first revealing some of this stuff to me, I I kicked against it. I'll be honest. I kicked against it. I still do sometimes. I catch myself doing that. Um, it's it's sort of natural. It shouldn't be, but that's just, that's our heart, right? That, right? that unregenerate heart that we all struggle with. I'm not here to attack you, though, right? I know that some of these topics are going to be difficult. They're going to be hard to hear. My intent is not to attack you. At the end of the day, though, I'm less interested in telling you what you want to hear and more interested in telling you what you need to hear. And sometimes that feels like an attack. Yeah, right. But that's why I lean back to number three, unifying theory two plus two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, I'm yeah. just here to give the information. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a podcast. We're sitting here in a room talking for an hour or two. You're going to hear my opinion. Right. right. There's no way I can get through an entire conversation on this without sharing my opinion. Right. That's what talking is. That's right. what discussing mm-hmm. is. But my main goal is just to give you the information you need. I will say that I think you've been very clear with when you go when you when you stray away from what's actually a written word to to opinion you've been very good with saying in in my opinion or this is what i feel right. this is this is the conclusion that i've drawn from that so but like you said there's probably been times too or you know maybe i've not caught it we just know each other so well i know yeah. i know I'm like i know where he's going with that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, heard, oh, that yeah, yeah. Heard, that, heard that before so <laughs> but um i think you know we kind of and you know like you said it does come up our opinions come up but yeah we're always pretty good about well i think this is what i think you know especially when i my deer in my headlights i'm like <laughs> oh my opinion oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm very paranoid about giving opinion that's wrong but giving wrong opinion and i'm you know it's not that i intentionally give wrong opinion right right but you know we make mistakes we're we're human yeah. right right i'm very paranoid though about unintentionally sharing wrong opinion as if it's fact right correct right that's that's a dangerous road and i don't want to be on that you know if if i share something that that as a, a statement of fact then i am convinced that i can show you in scripture that it's factual. Right. Right. For example, we are Israel. 
I can show you in scripture and I, I feel like I have throughout the course of this podcast that that is fact. Right. Right. That, you know, the law of cross, the law of Christ points to the law of God, the 10 commandments. I believe that I can show you that is fact. Right. But there are other things. It's like, well, I think this, this points to this. Right. Yeah. 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 I think <laughs> isn't yeah. fact. Right. Right. So that's it. I think Charles Spurgeon has a quote that defines my goal with these series of topics over the next few weeks pretty nicely. I just ran across this the right. other day, actually. It's pretty cool how I came across it, and it's great. And it was in a sermon he gave called War, War, War. Very appropriate for our intro music, right? Yeah. yeah. And he gave this sermon uh, May 1st, 1859, and he said this, We must fight the Lord's battles against this giant air whichever shape it takes, and so must we do with every air that pollutes the church Slay it utterly, let none escape. Fight the Lord's battles. Even though it be an error that is in an evangelical church, yet must we smite it. I love all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, but nevertheless I cannot have any truce, any treaty with diverse errors that have crept into the church, nor would I have you regard them with complacency. We are one in Christ, let us be friends with one another, but let us never be friends with one another's error. If I be wrong, rebuke me sternly. I can bear it, and bear it cheerfully. And if ye be wrong, expect a like measure from me, and neither peace nor parley with your mistakes. Let us all be true to one another, and true to Christ, and as soon as we perceive an error, though it be but as the shadow of one, let us root it out and drive it from us, lest it plague the whole body and put leprosy into the entire fabric of the church. No peace with sin, no peace with falsehood, war, War, war without deliberation, war forever with error and deceit, end quote. That's our goal here, right? And I think really it's not just this week, this series of topics, the next series of topics. That's really our goal with the podcast in general. Right. That's what pursuing that Philly faith is, mm-hmm. right? It's purifying our understanding of him, purifying our belief, and purifying our behavior according to his standard, the way right. he defines it. And that's, that's the objective. So, like it. Open discussion. No, <laughs> now like that it. that uh, that that's, no, that's like, out of the way. It's funny. It's funny that you you know you bring you kind of you kind of touched on it, but on two separate occasions this week, I've I've had videos either forwarded to me or come across one uh, where science was trying to disprove things that happened in the Bible, mm-hmm. and I find it I find it. F- poetically funny that science has proven lots of the Bible, but yet it always breaks down when it comes to disproving it to the point where most nine times out of 10, it comes to the point where it's like either look, you either have to believe in miracles or not like, cause science will come to a point. Well, there's, there's no, explanation for this other than life finds a way well yeah that's the miracle brother that's a funny way to say miracle (laughs) right yeah yeah i mean so i mean not going into too much detail but one of them was how adam and adam and eve couldn't have possibly repopulated or couldn't possibly have populated the earth because of their gene pool would be so small and genetic happenings and, uh, and the first thing that comes to my mind is like the creator of the universe could not manipulate DNA in the womb 
to a point where healthy offspring would come forth. And I'm sure both of you have probably done mm-hmm. multiple studies on this, but um, you know, that's always my first thing. But, you know, so there's countless studies and there's from, you know, flash forward to modern day. There's lots of studies that of, you know, of, you know, ain't or early uh, England and some other some some tribes and, you know, and I'm misquoting everything, but there's studies that <laughs> that that come that show where healthy offspring can come from a small gene pool. And it always comes back to, well, and I can't remember where it was, but it was in some island where the whole entire population had almost gotten wiped out through a tsunami, except there was 20 people left. And from those 20 people, they repopulated the small island. Right. And it came down to where most of the island had the gene for colorblindness. But the gene for colorblindness wasn't discovered it, through pat, through the dominant recessive gene paths. It was found that that gene was only introduced in the fourth generation. So how did that happen if it was the same gene pool? And, you know, science it kind of was like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, that's I mean, that's somebody creating Your science come on it's, move. it's science like, right yeah it's like <laughs> you know and that's you know that's kind of where it's like it, it kind of breaks down where it's like look man you either believe in miracles or you don't at mm-hmm. some point at the end of the day it's you can't explain away the bible with science you can prove a lot of it with science if not most all of it, it even if it's just circumstantial evidence but when you start to disprove it it's like your theories break down yeah and that's like a lot of non-believers believe that there's jesus historically Mm -hmm. scientifically whatever they just try to disprove of the things that the bible says right right like historically he was there so they're not denying that fact at all they're just trying to debunk everything else and then it ends up either a they become a believer or they just throw their hands up and quit trying to disprove it and focus on something else. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that kind of sparked in me like, okay, so here's, and, and this is why I think it's, it's important that we, you know, sit at table with sinners, quote unquote, you know, mm-hmm. or non-believers and is when you learn the other side of it, you, you learn how to argue it. Right. Yeah. So it's not that I'm, it's not, it becomes that, a tool in the toolbox. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of sparked it within me, you know, I'm like, okay, so let's, let's, you know, run this theory out, you know, with, with the preconceived notion from the very beginning of, you know, well, first of all, you know, he's, he's the creator of the universe. He can yeah. manipulate DNA. Yeah. And, you know, at some point in time, he's probably like, okay, the gene pool is big enough. I can stop manipulating DNA and let, science take over from there that still doesn't mean that he doesn't have a have a say in that creation of life so you know everything i'm taking from there is is a grain of salt but it's like you said it's another tool in the toolbox it's you know it's not that i'm not gonna be like oh that's blasphemous and i don't want to hear it i'm mm-hmm. like well, let's study that let's open it up let's dissect it let's yeah. actually have a conversation about right, it right exactly when it's important to it's important to familiarize yourself with the things that non-believers teach, right? So that you have a response to it. 
Right. Right. Because there's some things, you know, like, you know, chasing that rabbit a little bit more. There's some things that scientists won't even consider. You know, they won't even consider the idea that there's, you know, progressive degeneration as a result of sin, which would account for some of the things you just mentioned. Right. You know what I mean? With with DNA degradation and things like that. And they also ignore the fact that there have actually been mathematical studies done on population growth on the planet. And it correlates directly with Adam and Eve. Like, like well, you, you would actually go back to Noah and his sons, mm-hmm. you know, and the population growth. It, it, it perfectly correlates with rooting down to that one family that mm-hmm. came out of the ark just a few thousand years ago. If that wasn't the case, if, if the earth was as old as they claim, and if we had been here as long as they say we've been here, then it should have gotten out of control, right? right. A lot sooner mm-hmm. than it did. Again, they don't account for things like that. There's things that they, they ignore. Right. Because it seems, it seems like it's less a pursuit of truth for them and more a war against truth. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But we need to understand what they're teaching. Do you guys know what a goad is? G-O-A-D. A goad. Like, like as an acronym, just a word. Oh no, the word. Or, I've I've used it for like, like prodding, like goading mm-hmm. somebody along. Like it's very close. Like like you're trying to like you're trying to provoke a negative reaction out of them, so you like goad at them. Yeah, like I just kind of I just yeah. happen to be pointed toward toward studying this out earlier today. So it's funny you mentioned this. I think this is essentially what these scientists are doing. It's it's a term that only appears once in the New Testament. And it's in a phrase, and it's given when Paul is recounting his experience on the Damascus Road to King Agrippa, and he he recounts what Jesus told him in the vision. Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It's difficult to kick against the goads. It's actually an idiom. And a goad was actually a long, spear-like pointed stick that you would use to stab the buttocks of an ox when it got unruly when it was fighting against the yoke to get the ox back in line to discipline it, you would hit it with a goad. And if the do- if the ox chose to rebel, it would kick against it. It would try to kick you instead of mm-hmm. obeying. Mm-hmm. It would kick until you goaded it again and again and again until it finally got the message and obeyed. See what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Yeah. It's goad is a, essentially it's a, it's an idiomatic Hulking picture. Yeah. yeah. It's an idiomatic <laughs> picture of being corrected. Mm-hmm. Is what it is, and he was Paul was accused of kicking against it. And I think that's essentially what individuals like this in the scientific community are doing. They see the truth, right? The truth is right in front of us, right? They see the evidence for the truth, but they're kicking against it, right? They're kicking against the goats. It's it's comforting to know that they're still being goaded, right? Hopefully, that means he hasn't given up on them, right? Right? He's 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 not desirous that any should should perish. He makes that clear in scripture. Right. You know, he pleads with the people through Ezekiel. You know, open your eyes, obey me. I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to die in your sins. Just put a new heart in yourself and just do what I'm telling you to do. Right. But I don't know. I just thought it was interesting you brought that up because yeah. I just happened to be looking at that today. And honestly, because it only appears once in scripture, I always glossed over it. I don't think I ever really looked into it before today. It's just a phrase that is glossed over like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Right. Mm-hmm. It only appears once. It doesn't really matter that much, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I think it might be like, and, and that's funny you say that too. It's like, because I think, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like a certain social media platform. I don't want to attack anyone because I, <laughs> I don't want to get kicked <laughs> off of it. Because I do find that it, it can be useful. But it seems like the more you search for 
Christian themed stuff, the more it advertises and pushes the ladder onto you. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, why is all this stuff coming up? Oh, I know why, because I've been, I've been actively searching it more on social media. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think that's kind of like the social medias. Hey, this can't be real. This can't be real. What are you doing looking at this? This can't be real. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you guys got anything else? Nope. Anything else you've been looking into this week or had put on you? Or? Oh, you guys know that I've been looking into a lot of stuff this week, but <laughs> nothing I want to dive into okay. just yet. No nutty garbage happening in the world that you want to just vent out? Oh, man, there's something bad. <laughs> 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 nothing... Nothing, you know, nothing beyond, like I said, it just, it seemed funny that, you know, like I said, that science can prove it, but the science breaks down when they try to disprove it. So, And digging a little deeper in that reference of goads, it actually kind of correlates, I believe, with Matthew 11. Jesus says, says something interesting in Matthew 11. It's another thing that I think we kind of gloss over. We focus on one part of it, but not the other part. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. talked about that recently, Ronnie. We've all talked about that, like <laughs> how, how we'll focus on one little part of a verse and then ignore the other part. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. The part that makes us feel good, that we focus on. And he said this, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. End quote. Again, that's oxen language, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of it 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 ties into what he warned Paul about. There's you know you put a yoke on an oxen, you know yeah. you put an yoke on an oxen on an ox to to drive it behind a plow or something like mm-hmm. that, and you would use the goad to or the the cattle prod is a is a yeah. better English way to put that a cattle prod to drive them along. Right. We focus on the part where he says that his burden's easy, that it's light. And often I think we focus on that part because we feel like that's like him. Like it's too often preached like that's him saying there's no real standard. Yeah. Right. Super easy. You don't have to do anything. Of course, we ignore the parts where even Moses said that, you know, this isn't hard what I'm giving you today. Yeah. You know, if you would just, you know, put away your rebellious heart, this is pretty easy stuff. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But we kind of like ignore the fact that he's still saying to put my yoke on you. All right. Right. A yoke directs you. You know, a yoke isn't total, complete, uncontested freedom. And that's often what we preach the gospel as. Just total freedom to do as thou yeah. wilt, which is more of a satanic message, mm-hmm. right, than a, than a godly one. Do as thou wilt, and you'll be rewarded for It's right. essentially what we treat Christian liberty as. But he says, put my yoke on you. A yoke directs you on a course, right? right. And it's the, part of a harness. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it keeps you from veering off to the left or the right. We ignore that part that he says, he orders us here, put my yoke on you and learn from me. Learn my ways. Right. That's implying a standard, right? Right. So what's the standard? Deer in headlights. I mean, his law. The Bible, right? Yeah, yeah his word. His law, yeah. Yeah, his word. His word's the standard. Like, that's what we should be looking to. Sorry to push you on the spot there. No, I, I was pretty sure. It was sure. weird how I framed it. It's, always, it's always one of those things where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'm like, I don't, really don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be afraid to get it wrong. I do the same thing with names. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I remember that person's name, <laughs> but I don't want to get it wrong. So I just dance around their name. Hey, you guys. <laughs> it's important to not neglect that he's telling us to to learn from him and to be directed by him. 
And that really kind of brings us to our topic for today and in, in this series. And again, my goal with this series is, is this series is going to be called the intent, right? And the overarching goal is to identify Abba's intent in his relationship with his covenant people. That's us, right? His covenant people. That's us. New covenant, old covenant, it's us. Covenant people. What his intent is for us in his relationship. And as the series progresses, today we're going to focus on the intent. Right. Well, the whole thing's on the, my goodness, I'm rambling again. I just promised at the beginning of the episode that I wouldn't do this. Oh, man. <laughs> today we're going to focus on the intent, the starting point. Right. And as the series progresses, we're going to, we're going to look at how that shift occurred away from that starting point. Right. Right. And I'm, we're going to focus on a couple key areas where the, where the shift had a major impact, where we see this shift visibly manifest itself, uh-huh. right, to identify it. And when we do that, we can better understand what it is that Jesus restores us back to. That's the whole point of this, right? When we identify the starting point, what his goal is with us and how we lost that, right, how we got separated away from that, we can better understand where we're pointed to. So again, the intent is the starting point. The shift from that starting point is the consequence and the problem in need of a correction, right? And the reconciliation offered through Jesus is a return to that starting point. So the question we'll be answering today is, what is the starting point? Right? That's the basic question we'll be answering today. And we, we find that out in the opening verses of Exodus 19. So we're going to read through Exodus 19 and 20 today. That's what we're going to hopefully get through. Exodus 19 gives us sort of the introduction to that starting point and defines it. And then Exodus 20 gives us, that's the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So before we, we dive into 19, I, I just want to introduce the context. Like I said, we're not going to read through all of Exodus. There's a lot that happened there. But I think most of us know the basic story. But just to get us up to speed of what's happened. His people have been in captivity for a few hundred years. They've cried out to him in Egypt. They've cried out to him. So they've been there for quite a long time. God calls Moses to go to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, to demand that he let his people go, right? We know that whole story. Pharaoh refuses, hardens his heart, plagues come. That's an interesting study into itself because those plagues, they were probably rebukes of individual gods in Egypt. It's really interesting when you look at the iconography of the plagues and then study iconography of the gods they worshipped. It was probably a rebuke of their pantheon. Like there there was a lot there. It's a really cool story. That, ironically, science can back up (laughs) that that happened. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's one we should dive into at some point for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, eventually, like Pharaoh, well, we know that the, the first Passover occurred. Mm-hmm. That first Passover, he, he redeems the firstborn of Israel and the Gentiles that chose to obey God. It's not just natural born Israelites. We know Egyptians fled with them. There's a mixed multitude is what it calls it, which is they all became one in Israel, one, one body, one Israel. I think you see that too, like, that he saved, even though they weren't Jews, if they followed his command, the the firstborn was passed over. Yes. It's like he's including them with his people even at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I even not, I'm not rebuking what you're saying. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that that's also misleading because I think we so often we refer to Israel as Jews. Right. And it's, I think it's important to remember that all Jews are Israel, but not all Israel are Jews. Like Jews represent two of the tribes, okay. Judah and Benjamin, and any Jew will tell you that, right? Jews know who right. they are, one hundred percent. They'll tell you that we're Judah, right? And we we sort of 
that's that's a rabbit chase unto itself. There were ten tribes of Israel that got lost throughout history. They were divorced. Right. right we've kind of talked about that. So I just wanted to clarify that. Right. Yeah. You're right in what you said. I just wanted to to, to make that clear that that it's not just Jews that are the focus of when it comes to Israel. Right. That's it's all twelve tribes plus the Gentiles that are grafted in. Okay. Because I think sometimes we have the tendency to say, well, that's and well, I'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But we have this tendency to say, well, that's for the Jews. You know, it's for Israel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's 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 kind of a weird thing to say something's just for the Jews when every command that he he gave it goes back before the kingdom was even split. Nothing, no command was given just to the Jews. The Jews were the only ones that held on to it throughout history that didn't that didn't stray away and then refuse to repent, and come back. And that's why I think we we have it we have a tendency to to identify the Jews with the law because they're the only ones that guarded it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But it, the law wasn't just for them. I just wanted to clarify that. So, the the plagues. Where did I leave off? Do you so, remember where I left off? Yeah. So <laughs> am I? Am I? So yeah. So you're you're you were you you had just briefly summarized what happened in Egypt. The, pl- the plagues came, and yes. you're telling people what happened after that. Okay. I just wanted yeah. to see where I was at in the S- summer. Setting right up, here. setting up, going into chapter nineteen. So yes. Yeah, so the the Passover event. He he passes over the people of Israel and the obedient Gentiles. The firstborn of those who refuse to obey are killed. And that's the first Passover that we have. Those who do cover the doorpost with the lamb's blood, which is a picture of Jesus, they're passed over. Right. And then they flee Egypt. They come into Oreb. And that's where we're at in chapter 19. So they fled. Jesus. Yes. What's that? The picture of Jesus, pre-Jesus. Yes. Isn't that awesome? I just want to clarify that. How often you see that? Yeah. Yeah. How often you see that these, these, these word pictures of Jesus thousands of years sometimes before he even came on the scene is pretty awesome. Yeah. But yes, thank you. Pre-Jesus. And they rebelled a little bit in the interim, right? The 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 people of Israel, these people were very stiff-necked. That's what God calls them over and over and over again. My goodness, you're stiff-necked. They were whining because they didn't have the right food. They were, you know what I mean? They were whining because <laughs> they thought he was going to let them go without water and die in the desert. It was just ridiculous. How, how you can see all the well, wonders you say that he that gave them. Flippantly, though, how ridiculous they are but we do that now more so i mean what i I complain about might be ridiculous to you guys yeah i mean nonetheless how ridiculous it is to complain to him about but yeah i mean yes what they're complaining about is ridiculous but we do that all the time with simple things i'm glad you corrected me on that because i think we do have a tendency to like treat them like oh man that was so, yeah, so, so silly. Stupid. Yeah, yes. why are you doing yeah. that? Yeah. When really it's it's evidence of that unregenerate heart that we all struggle with. Right. It's it's evidence of that deeper heart issue. Mm-hmm. Right? That like this is inevitable. The fall of Adam without without dealing with the heart issue was inevitable. Mm-hmm. The fall of, you know, th- these people's stiff neck behavior. It's inevitable. It's it's inevitable until that heart is dealt with. Right. Correct. And we're we're all going to be guilty of that unless we surrender to him and crazy let him be dealt because with. Leading up to this chapter, we saw all those things. Mm-hmm. We read about it. They lived it. Yeah. And still they're being whiny. Yeah. Right. I think, and I think that might be the disconnect too, where, you know, we're, we're looking at this as, you know, we're seeing big, big miracles, you know, and, and they're still being whiny. Whereas, we see smaller miracles today, but we do still see miracles. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. we're not going to see prophetically a, a sea be parted and a whole entire, you know, river turn turn red to wine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to see anything big like that, but we there is miracles all around us. But sometimes we harden our hearts to them, so we, we're less likely to see the small miracles all around us. Yeah. Right. And to go back to so, your previous thing is we get colorblind to them. Right. Yeah. In hindsight, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that in the open discussion because that's, you know, we see these miracles, we see them, and we rationalize them away, mm-hmm. right? right? And I wonder I wonder how much of that was going on with the people of Israel, like, you know, rationalize, maybe it's just coincidence, you know? Or, you know, they'd been, they'd been brainwashed, you know, by pagans all around them for how long, right. Right. you know? You know, maybe they were convinced that, well, maybe this isn't that God. Maybe right. it's something else. And, I mean, correct me if I'm know. wrong, didn't, I mean, didn't, for lack of a better term, Pharaoh have sorcerers in his court that were actively trying to disprove what Moses was doing all along and probably uh, probably generated propaganda to the people for the same for the same purpose. And, you know, yeah. And you, you mentioned that they were doing things that could be perceived as miraculous. They were doing things through demonic power that weren't natural. So there is there is that too. How much how much of that was was going on to to try to counter what Yahweh is telling His people? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we need to be more fair handed right. with those people. You're absolutely right in the way that we that yeah, we talk correct. about them and the, the 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 attitude that we have toward them. It's so we you know we do the same thing with Adam. Oh, how could he have done that? How could Eve have done that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, we all would have done the same thing. The yeah. fall was inevitable. Right. Yeah. It was going to happen. It, the fall was not unique to Adam. Right. It was inevitable. You know, and actually, you know, since you mentioned, I didn't know if I was going to mention this or not. You talked about that, you know, that the picture of Jesus before Jesus. Mm-hmm. I find it inter- interesting, the, the, the picture, just two chapters previous to what we're getting ready to read in chapter 17 is when we have the, the rock in Oreb, mm-hmm. where he strikes the rock. And I've glossed over that so many times and never really thought about what a picture of Jesus that actually is, that he smites the rock. He strikes the rock, right? And then the rock breaks and cracks and outpours water for the people. And how powerful of an image of Jesus is that? That he he came to be smitten, to be struck, to be broken on, on our behalf so that we could have access to the living water that he offers to all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. And we have that image right before what we're getting ready to read here in chapter 19 where he offers this covenant Where it's actual intent. physical. Yeah. Yeah. Live in water. Yeah. Pretty Where awesome. Yeah. So we're going to start in verse one of chapter 19. Now that we have that preamble out of the way, <laughs> my, my rambly yeah. preamble. And it says this in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, that same day they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. They traveled from Rephidim, came into the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp in the wilderness. Israel camped there right in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice, and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words which you are to speak to the sons of Israel. I'm going to stop there. That, I believe, is where we have the starting point 
his intent. And he says it in that phrase, you will be a kingdom of priests to me. Does that sound familiar from a new covenant context? Mm -hmm. We have two verses that I'm going to read from the New Testament. The first is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And he says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, it says, John, to the Messiah's seven communities in Asia, grace and shalom to you from him, that's Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come, as well as from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Messiah Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever. Amen. So we have that same language there, right? A kingdom of priests. That's the intent. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to be a kingdom of priests. Now, I just want to clarify this before we go on, and, and we'll touch upon this as the series progresses. That's not what we got, right? Before Jesus, that's not what happened. We didn't have a kingdom of priests. We had a kingdom that had a Levitical priesthood, and only one high priest could enter into the holy place to where the, where the father was, and only once a year. Right. Once Moses died and he was no longer, you know, talking to God face to face like a friend daily. That's what we got. We didn't get a kingdom of priests. We got a Levitical priesthood. And we're going to get into how that happened. But this is this is the goal. And those New, New Testament references make it clear that's what we're brought to. That's what he's offering us to be a kingdom of priests. But what does that mean? Right. What is a priest? I think, you know, we think of priests and we often, I think we often just think of the ones that like went into the temple to make sacrifices. When you look at the fullness of the office, though, it's that they, they, they come into the presence of God. They're chosen. They're set apart. Like they're, they're people that God sets apart to dwell with him in his presence. Right? That's what the Levites essentially were. They didn't have a land inheritance. The Levites didn't because it says their inheritance was Yahweh. That's what we're told. Their inheritance was a God. Nobody else had that. Only, only the Levites had that. The other people had land. But the Levites had God. He was their inheritance because they had that relationship or, or should have had that relationship. That's what he's offering all the people here. Mm -hmm. What he's saying here is that he wants everyone to have that relationship. I think often we think of a priest as somebody who just makes atonement on behalf of the people. But if everybody's a priest... You're not making atonement on behalf of anybody else, right? Right. Because everybody's a priest. Right. So by that definition, what what is a priest, right? If you if you remove from the defining characteristic of a priest making atonement for the people, and everybody's a priest, what you have left is dwelling in his presence and having a relationship with him. That's what he wants. But as he says, there's a caveat. If you listen closely to my voice. If you keep my covenant, then you will be a kingdom of priests. Mm. Right? There is a requirement here. It's an if-then promise. And we've talked about those in the past. Mm -hmm. How scripture is rife with if-then promises, and this is one of the first. Not the first, but it's, it's among the first. If you do this, then you will have this. This is the starting point. 
right? Mm-hmm. So continuing on at verse 7, it says, Moses went, called the elders of the people, and put before them all these words that Yahweh had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, Everything that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. Then Moses reported the words of the people to Yahweh. So they agreed to the terms here, saying everything that he tells us to do, we're going to do it. We'll, ab- we'll abide by the F part and take the, end part, take, take the then part. Right, that's what they're agreeing to here. Right. Yahweh said to Moses, I am about to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day Yahweh will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You are to set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Be very careful not to go up onto the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Not a hand is to touch it, but he will surely be stoned or shot through, whether it is an animal or a man. It will not live. When the, when the trumpet sounds, they may come up to the mountain. So there's a change that's occurring here, right? So he's offering the terms of this covenant, right? He's telling them what the goal of this covenant is. And now he's telling them, before this happens, though, don't come anywhere near the mountain. They have to sanctify themselves. He said in the ground rules. Yes, that's exactly what he's doing. He's consecrating these people. He's preparing them to enter into this this covenant agreement with him, but before then, they can't come near. Only Moses can. Right. Right? Until the third day. And we talked about that in last week's episode, how I believe that third day, along with this kingdom of priests reference, these are the two witnesses that we have linking this covenant promise with the New Testament context. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's very similar to what we see with, with Jesus. Right? We're not consecrated to him and remarried to him on his death, on the first day. We're consecrated and remarried to him on his resurrection, the third day, when he right. raises himself from the dead, mm-hmm. right? When he shows himself to be God and have the power to, to raise us as well. That's when the essentially the new covenant agreement is made, right? And it's very similar to what we see here. On day one, they're being consecrated, but it's on day three that they are consecrated, mm-hmm. and this agreement is ratified, mm-hmm. I guess would be the right word for mm-hmm. it, right? That's essentially what we have here. So starting again in verse 14, Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated them, and then they washed their clothing. It's very symbolic. Mm -hmm. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not draw near your wives. In the morning of the third day there was thundering and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and the blast of an exceedingly loud trumpet. All the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire Mount Sinai was in smoke, because Yahweh had descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the of the trumpet... Sorry, I keep tripping over that because my translation says shofar, and I'm trying not to say the Hebrew words so people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> its trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him with a thunderous sound. Then Yahweh came down onto Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain, so Moses went up. I'm going to stop there for a second. So we see that before, they weren't allowed to draw near the mountain at all. On day one, they weren't allowed to draw near, right? Then on day three, when his presence comes down, then they're invited to the base of the mountain to be in his presence. 
and they were afraid. And I think you see here the difference in the heart Moses had and the heart of the people. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, the first time that he interacted with Yahweh, there was, there was fear and trepidation as well. But Moses drew near. He desired to be near Yahweh. You really never see this from the people. I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you never, you never really see them desire to have that face-to-face interaction like a friend as Moses had. They always have this like terror. Yeah. Right. Well, and I know we've talked about it off record and on record, but their tremble and fear. I look at it like us with either non-believers or fresh new believers Mm -hmm. of how scary everything is. That's new. I mean, obviously it's not smoke and fire, but it could be in our own minds thinking like that. Yeah. Or where we have to get everything prepared. We have to get everything in line and then we'll then we'll do all the things. Yeah. I kind of think back to when he really shook me. And we've talked about we've talked about it a lot, the, mm-hmm. the the process that he put me through. And in the beginning, and I've told you how my my emotions really messed me up. He had to really get me through that because in the beginning it was fear. Mm-hmm. It was fear. But I chose to draw near to him. Yeah, your free will. Yes. That he allows. Yes, and I think that's the difference that I think we see highlighted here. Moses had the same fear, mm-hmm. but he desired to draw near to God. Mm-hmm. They had that fear, and they kind of put their hand up and kept him at a distance. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that same that they didn't have that same draw to be close to him like Moses had. And I think that's where you see the difference in the the heart condition, mm-hmm. I guess, between Moses and what God would desire. Because obviously what God had with Moses, that's what he wanted with everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? He right. It says, and, and we'll get into that later. Maybe not today, but well, we'll get we into that later. Yeah, a kingdom of priests, right? A kingdom of priests. So. And you know, I think you see that picture of, you know, when, when you really dig into how he interacted with Moses, Moses is essentially his priest at that point. Mm-hmm. Right? We call him a prophet, and that's not inaccurate, but he's essentially acting as the priest. And he's, he's going to in God's presence and speaking to him like a friend. It says that in the text. It says that he, he goes, and we'll, like I said, we'll get into that in a, in a, on a different week because there's a reason that mm-hmm. I want to focus on that later. But it says that he spoke to God as a man speaks with his friend. That's what God wanted for the, with the people. But I don't, I don't think we see evidence that they wanted that. I think we see evidence that they really didn't. I right. think they wanted, I think, I feel like, they're guilty of the th- same thing that we're too often guilty of, and I've been guilty of. They love the blessing mm-hmm. more than they love the blessing giver. Mm-hmm. I think we're so often guilty of that, that we want him to bless us. But that's all we really want. This is also an example, and we've talked about it also, as God going halfway, wanting them to go halfway. Yes. As to where they're like, nope, I'm not moving. It's all you. Yeah. I know we didn't read it, but I think you see that earlier with the manna issue, mm-hmm. right? They're they're whining because they think they're going to, as if God's going to let them starve to death. But you know, oh, we're going to, you know, you rescued us from Egypt just to make us starve to death in this desert, you know. And and really, it's not even what they're asking; it's how they're asking. Yes, it. that's the issue. I've yeah. I've talked about this in private Bible study Bible studies before. When they're complaining about not having food, their petition to God is not the problem. Asking for food would not have been the problem. It was their spoiled brat attitude that they brought to God that was the problem. And that's yeah. what he addressed. And then he gives them manna. 
right? The the bread from heaven. And then they start complaining because it wasn't oh, we're, good. yeah, we're sick of this manna. We had meat and we had cucumbers in Egypt. There were leeks, I think it was. We had leeks in Egypt. We had such good food. Let's just go back there. So even that wasn't good enough. Right. So then he gets mad and almost out of spite, he gives them quails. Oh, you want meat? Fine. I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat, you're going to be puking it up. You're going to hate meat by the time you're done with it. Because it's sort of, that's actually yeah. basically what God says. He's like, you're going to have so much of it that you're going you're gonna to detest the taste of it. So he just gives them quails. Just nonstop quail. <laughs> I don't know how long this went on, but they were sick of it by the end to make a point. Right. You know, it just, it stuns me. And again, I'm falling back into that trap. You look at them and you're like, how could they be like that? But then I look back at my life and I look back at my walk. You know, God, you know, God gives us a home. Now, this isn't good enough. I don't own it. God gives us the opportunity to buy a home. It's not big enough. I need something bigger. I don't have a big enough yard. Mm -hmm. Every single time I've looked back in my life, and if I'm being transparent and honest for a long time, and I'm still guilty of it sometimes, every time he's blessed me, it's always turned into, "Eh, but it's not this. Right. I could have something else. It's the exact same sin. Mm -hmm. It's no different, and we're still guilty of it today. And it's got to stop. We've got to learn. We've got to learn from this because it separates. We're going to see that as the series goes on, but this sort of sin, this sort of rebelliousness, this sort of lack of gratitude separates. Mm -hmm. So continuing on in verse 20, I think is where I left off. Then Yahweh came down onto Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to see Yahweh and many of them die. Even the priests who come near to Yahweh must consecrate themselves so that Yahweh does not break out against them. So they still haven't been consecrated yet, right? Mm-hmm. They have like this, this whole, the ratification process hasn't been completed. And he's warning them not to come onto the mountain where his presence is. Because in a, in a, we, we know this scripturally, in a, in a sinful state, if we haven't been consecrated, it sort of consumes us. Mm-hmm. And that's, he's warning the people because he loves them. Moses said to Yahweh, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you were the one who warned us, saying, set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. Then Yahweh said to him, go down, you are to come back up, and you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And that's where we come to chapter 20. So essentially we have him preparing the people. And again, like my, my main focus point for this series is the starting point. Mm-hmm. The starting point is that kingdom of priests promise. That's what he wanted. He had individual priests. When he's talking about the priests, he's talking about, you know, Aaron and his sons. Because it's not ratified yet, right? He set Moses apart. He set his son Aaron apart, or his, his brother Moses, brother Aaron apart, and his sons apart. But he, he and he's, he's chosen the firstborn of Israel through that first Passover experience, Right. But they haven't been consecrated yet, and that's what this process is about. And obviously, God knows the future. Mm-hmm. He knows how this whole thing was going to work out. Yeah, He's doing this. He knows the spoilers. He knows the spoilers, exactly. He's not doing this because he expects the people to, to agree to the terms and everything goes great and it's a, it's a happy ending 4,000 years ago. Everything went perfect. And oh no, they send, you know, God surprised doesn't know what to do, <laughs> right? right yeah. Obviously, that's not that's not what happened. He knew it was going to happen, but he had to establish this for us as well. Mm-hmm. So this is this is set here for us as our starting point for all of us to know that this is what the goal is, so that we understand what Jesus does for us and what our future hope is, right? And then we're going to start with 
chapter chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And then it says this, starting in verse 1, Then God spoke all these words, saying... I'm actually going to stop there, because I think I think sometimes... In, I noticed this the other day when I read this, when I read through it to kind of re- uh, refresh my memory on it before we came into this. We always see, like, we, you know, we see the movie depictions, and, you know, it's, it's awesome. We, you know, Charlton Heston again, great Moses, you know, not so biblically accurate, but great yeah. Moses nonetheless. For the sake of time, movies condense events down, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then we turn that condensed version of what the Bible says, and in our mind, we think that's the version. Right. And then it sort of gets retold in churches and then reenacted in plays, and it just right. fixes in our well, mind. Well, I think, I think, I get what you're saying, but what I think would have been better said was we get the condensed version from the movie mixed up with what the Bible says. Exactly and then, right. And then we, but you said we get the condensed version of what the Bible says. Did, did I say that? Yeah. Oh, man, like like you, me. like you were saying, like the Bible, the Bible condenses it. No, oh, we, <clears throat> we don't condense. The Bible didn't condense it. I think it was just the way you worded it. It sounded in my head like you were trying to say the Bible condensed it, but thank we you. Condensed, we condensed it. Don't ever hesitate to correct me on things <laughs> like that. Cause I've caught myself doing that right. editing sometimes. And right. I'm like, I can't fix this. <laughs> I, I can't I, fix it. I, don't I, know I get do. what you were saying where you were saying, <laughs> you know, we get the condensed version from the movie stuck in our mind as what actually happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we believe that's what actually happened with this event. When we're talking like the reason I brought that up, I think often we think, you know, they come to Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. right. And Oreb they're at the base of the mountain. Fire comes down. Moses goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, he gets the statutes, he comes back down, and that's it. But what we're shown here is he's going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And Sinai is not huge. It's not like a, It's not like Everest. You know what I mean? Right. It's a giant hill, more than a mountain, really. And he's going back and forth, right? He's going up, he's talk, he talks to Yahweh, then he comes back down and tells the people. Goes back up, talks to Yahweh, goes back down and tells the people. And then we have this part here where at the end of 19... We're told that Moses went down to the people and told them what Yahweh had said. And then the very next thing we have in verse 20 is, Then God spoke all these words, saying. It doesn't say that Moses went back up again. I think he spoke this out loud, the Ten Commandments, for all the people to hear it. So that they knew this is from my mouth. These are the terms of this covenant, what you just agreed to. These are the terms. These are the black and white overarching terms. He's going to share the statutes, the practical application with Moses Later, well, not later. After this, right, right. We'll 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 get into it later because we're not going to get into it today. We'll get into that next week. But these ten commandments are the the basic terms, right? I, I, I've seen it. I've seen it described that you can take the ten commandments, you can take all the statutes given by God, and you can treat the ten commandments like nails on a wall, right? And every statute can hang on one of those nails, you know. And then you can reduce that even further, and you can reduce it down to two nails loving God, loving neighbor, and then hang them all on one of those two, right? Everything hangs on love God, love neighbor, and one of the Ten Commandments under that, mm-hmm. right? right? So these are like the like the really important instructions. The, these are the, don't ignore any of these, the big the biggies, <laughs> right? These are the biggie commandments. Yeah. And it seems like in a context that he's speaking this out loud. And then as you'll see later, then Moses goes back up the mountain for the 40 days. So that 40 days on the mountain comes after this. I just think it's interesting. I think it's, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's yeah. not super relevant to our topic this week, right. I guess. But it is important, I think, to understand the full context and, and to read, you know, 
what exactly happened because sometimes we miss little nuggets. And like one of those nuggets is that he it seems to have spoken this for the for the people to hear rather than the people just are, are sitting at the base of the mountain. Because I, I think it, it makes what happens with the Israelites' rebellion a little bit worse. Yes. Because if we think of it where Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments and comes down, and as, we, as we'll find out as we, as we move along in a couple weeks, he comes down to that golden calf rebellion. Mm-hmm. If they hadn't received the Ten Commandments yet, how did they know that was wrong? Right. They'd just been inundated with paganism in Egypt. But... If he spoke this out for them to hear before that 40 days, the, the 40 days on the mountain from Moses, they heard him say, don't do these things. Mm-hmm. Worship me this way. Obey these commandments. And then they do it anyway. It makes rebellion even worse. They heard that they heard this spoken from the mouth of God. They heard these instructions from the mouth of God. And just a few days later, they choose to rebel again. You know what I mean? So right. it, it, I just think it, it, it paints God in a more fair light. Sometimes yeah. our mis, our, our, our misinterpretation of Scripture tends to paint God in what appears to unbelievers as to be un, unfair. Mm-hmm. When the way it describes it, it's very fair. He's giving the, this. This is what I want for you a per, from you a personal relationship. I've shown you all these miracles on the way so that you know that I am who I say I am. Mm-hmm. And then He speaks the commandments to them that they're to adhere to. And then if they disobey it. Then he's obviously just in right. Then it's his on response. them. It's on them. But as I, to where he takes out Moses being the scapegoat, exactly. Basically, right. Exactly. So now let's we'll read the Ten Commandments, and we can stop if you guys want to stop me on individual ones of these that you want to talk about, or if you have any perspective on it or what they mean to you. That's fine. We can just read straight through them. But again, I know there's a lot of scripture reading, but I think this is important. Like I say, when we're talking about the standard, the intent, I think it's good to have it on record that this is what it says, rather than just tell you, go read this. Right. So starting in verse 2, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on earth below or in the water under the earth. Do not bow down to them, Do not let anyone make you serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my instructions. Very first instruction. Very first command he gives right before he knows they're going to commit the golden calf rebellion. Right. right? It's one of the longest instructions, too, (laughs) and one of the most emphatically worded. Mm -hmm. One of don't think that's accidental. And uh, and maybe one of the ones that we misinterpret now mm-hmm. because everything's an idol. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Whether we look at it like an idol or not, like our money or our house or our car or our status. Yeah. Really anything that you intentionally put above him. Put above him, yeah. Anything that in the way we've worded it before, whenever you rip him out of, out, out of your circle and put some something mm-hmm. else in the center, that becomes an idol to you. This yep. has become a snare to you. Now, obviously, what he has in mind here is is their specific rebellion of making an actual physical idol and bowing to it. But that doesn't negate the reality of, of other idols. That's a scriptural truth. There right. are other things that can become an idol for us that steal our attention away from him. Mm-hmm. And that's never good. It's never a good thing. So starting again in verse 7. 
You must not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. I'm going to stop you on that one. I figured you would. <laughs> so, uh, so I know we had a similar or uh, an earlier um, discussion. I think it was maybe our second um, episode where we talked about taking God's name in vain. Mm-hmm. And we, we, it's not always what it seems to be like just taking his name in vain. It's misusing or misrepresenting his name. And I never noticed this before, but so where your verse says, actually says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. So my, my verse seven reads, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So I think that's kind of more of an accurate representation there of not just, you know, saying, oh, gee, 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 you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's using the lord's name to 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 provoke a means that's not his i agree yeah i agree that's a better handling of that i don't think most people really fully understand what's meant by taking his name in vain there right we almost that's, always i guess that's of, kind of what i'm getting at sorry mm-hmm. no don't okay. be sorry we almost always think of you know slipping up and saying gd or jc mm-hmm. as a curse word and that's not good I'm not saying right, that's yeah, a good right. thing. You're not we softening that. No, yeah. absolutely not. We should not be doing yeah, that. Not, not a free pass on that one. No, but that's what not, shouldn't be reduced to that. Exactly. But what's you know, and, but we're talking about the big ten commandments here, and that's not what he has in mind here when we're talking about the big ten commandments. He's talking about carrying his name falsely. Right. And that's what he has in mind here, using his name for 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 an agenda that's not his. Like for example, like the false prophets who prophesied falsely in his name, that's carrying his name falsely. That's right. that They were guilty of taking his name in vain, very specifically, as a as a biblical example of what that, what that would mean in practice. Mm-hmm. You have, like, Jeremiah prophesying truth in God's name, and then you have this cloud of other prophets just telling the king everything he wanted to hear and then saying, thus saith Yahweh. Who? Yeah. That's taking his name in vain, mm-hmm. and that's, right. without repentance, that's a very scary road to be on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Continuing on, this is the fourth commandment, and we'll round back to this one. Remember the day of Sabbath to keep it holy. You are to work six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. In it, you shall do, you shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, nor the outsider that is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus Yahweh blessed the day of Sabbath and made it holy. Between that and that first, the, the first couple commandments, he spends the most time on. Right. And it's almost like he knew that those would be the two. And again, this is gonna, where it's going to come to those times where I'm sharing things that are going to hurt for some people. It's almost like those are the two that he knew his people would neglect, mm-hmm. would be most prone to neglect. Again, we're going to round back to that the end of this episode and we're actually going to have a standalone episode on the sabbath as well but we'll come back to that i would i would agree with neglect but also i would say misconstrue mm-hmm. i i would too they, you know again adding adding their own words into it to make it suit their life better yeah and i will modernize yes there you go yep <clears throat> and i will say this when it comes to idolatry ignorance is not an excuse I, no. Idolatry is one of those things that I think we all 
just inherently know is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Or we should. With the Sabbath, I think it's more what we've been taught and what we've been handed down, right? And it's not one of those things that's quite as obvious as idolatry, I don't believe. I think it's an important thing, but I also think it's something that that requires a bit more patience, right, mm-hmm. in addressing than somebody point blank bowing down to an idol. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If, if I saw a Christian bowing down to a literal idol, my approach to them would be much different than one who was taught things in the church that's not biblically accurate about the Sabbath their entire life. Right. Completely different things. And by the way, I have seen Christians bow down to idols. Just saying, it's not like it's a thing of the past. My wife grew up Catholic, right? right. And there was a wedding not too terribly, just a few years ago, and she didn't go because she knew exactly what it was going to turn into, and they had a statue of Mary up. And they literally offered the statue roses as an offering and bowed down and kissed the statue's feet. I'm sorry to step on some toes. That's idol worship. That's a breach of those first commands we just read. And that needs to be repented of. That's wrong, right? And he he does not tolerate idolatry. He never has. One of the things that he, he rebuked his people for the most harshly with the most harsh consequences was physical idol worship, right? right? That does need to be called out. Continuing in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh your God is giving you. We might have a special episode and bring my daughter Grace on so we can dive into that one. I think she needs it. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Verse 13. Do not murder. Well, oh, sorry, well, go ahead. Uh, well, so <laughs> I I struggle with this one. I I think when we when it says honor, people think we kind of go back to the to the marriage episode of blindly bow down to. Mm-hmm. I I don't think and in this sense right here, honor your father and mother should not be replaced with the with the with the the adage of just blindly bow down to him. Mm-hmm. I think it's more like respect your father and mother because they are those people. You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what I mean. I think sometimes it's misused to to garner obedience to parents that aren't godly right. or maybe are even abusive. And that's not at all what right. what in the context here right. is in mind. Yeah. Right. I think I think this could be a whole mini series of you know <laughs> you know, episode one, commandment one. Let's yeah. dive into it. You know, so, but yeah, I, I I see that. You know, and I feel like you know that, that kind of harkens, like I said, back to the to the marriage episode of. I think they they hear that honor your father and mother, and it's used to used to like you said, garner obedience. Yeah, blind obedience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we could always round back to these and like dig into them a little bit more. I'm I'm kind of glossing over some of them for the sake of time, right? But, and I keep slowing you down. <laughs> no, no, I want you to. We we need to discuss right. it. It's fine. We have we have time. But yeah, I think I think too often, you know, the Ten Commandments have just become those things that we put up in courtrooms. You know what I mean? We I don't think we give a lot of thought to them sometimes. Right. I think we we often treat them more like the the nine commandments we frequently set aside and the one suggestion. Right. It's kind of what we treat them like. I, I don't think we, we, we treat them with the seriousness they, they deserve. 
Because right, let, let's be real, I've I've rarely heard a church that preaches against the Ten Commandments. Right. Right. I I don't know about you guys, but that's not usually something that they're guilty of. You know, all but the most apostate churches teach that the Ten Commandments are rele- relevant mm-hmm. to to modern believers. But how much seriousness do we treat them with? It's one thing to treat. It's one thing to teach that they're relevant to us. It's another thing to really dig into what does that mean in application mm-hmm. in a practical setting. And I think that's important. But I don't think I don't think it's treated with the importance that it probably deserves. And that's really my like, again not to not to keep beating a dead horse, but that's really my focus here. I want to read this stuff out so that we see this stuff's important. Yeah, right. It's important to God, and if it's important to God, it should be important to us. That's really what I want to get across more than anything. The, if if we truly love him with a whole heart, and that's not to say that we won't find areas in our life where we're in error. Every day we should be improving, mm-hmm. right? Every day we should be like I did today. I, I found something else in my life. Oh man, I need to, I need to confess that that ain't good. You know what I mean? I haven't really addressed that in a serious way, you know, right. you know, and it can be small things. It can be big things. It can be areas where we're, where we're neglecting an entire command here it can be areas where, you know, we've deceived ourselves into believing that this this little thing's okay and it's not really that big of a deal. Every day should be should be an opportunity for us to allow him to purify us a little bit more, but we have to be surrendered to that. Yep. Right. We really have to be surrendered to that. And it it requires digging into this with seriousness, not just treating it again, not just treating it like like blase, like just a suggestion. Yep. And, and not again, flippantly. Not flippantly. That's a better way to put it. Absolutely. Like I say, if it's important to him, it should be important to us. And if it's not important to us, then we need to get him back at the center of our circle again. Because at some point, we pulled our circle off center. Yep. And then you have these. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. I'm going to stop on that one. Because that's another one that I think we really abuse. And it's treated like it's just lying in general. That's not really what's meant by bearing false witness. Again, not saying lying's okay. However, we do have examples in scripture of strategic lying. Right? Yeah. We even have examples of Yahweh doing it. Right? Or of 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 sort of deceiving the enemies of Israel to gain victory, right? There's a difference between that, right? Right. and bearing false witness against a neighbor. Right. This is really a legal term, is really what, what what's in mind here. And the ones listening to this would have understood that full well. It's, it's, it's misrepresenting your neighbor to cause them harm, right. is essentially what's, what's, what's conveyed here. A lie intended to hurt your neighbor for no right. good reason. Right. I was sad. No, I jumped ahead a little bit. Um because you know, I saw a reference come up, and so it's a little bit further in Exodus. It's 23.1. Do not spread false, and it kind of mm-hmm. plays in. It says, do not spread false reports and do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Yes. This is exactly what you were saying. That's why I brought it up was, you know, it's the, it's the you know, you, you purposely being a witness in a malicious way against somebody. Mm-hmm. And you've just highlighted, because we were going to, we're going to dig into to chapters 21 through 23 next week. And you just highlighted why those statutes are important. Mm-hmm. When we, when we teach that the 10 commandments are relevant, we stop there, right? We usually just sort of like 
snippet out the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20 and leave it at that. Those statutes in the following chapter, it's given in the same context. Those statutes are essentially the scroll of the covenant. So this is the, the these are the Ten Commandments of the tablets, right? The agreement. The scroll of the covenant is the statutes that follow give us practical application for what does that mean? In a day-to-day setting, in our day-to-day lives, what do these Ten Commandments mean? Like the ones that are a little bit more right. vague, if that's the right word, right? right. What does that look like? In our, day to, in our day-to-day life and throughout the course of chapters 21 through 23, he gives several examples, you know, that would occur in, in, in your life and, and what it would look like if you were responding to those circumstances in compliance with these Ten Commandments. Right. So it just highlights why it's important not to divest the Ten Commandments from the statutes immediately following that explain from God's perspective their application because too often we try to explain it from our perspective. Mm-hmm. We, we snippet out the Ten Commandments and explain what that means from our perspective when we have the following chapters, God giving us his perspective on what that looks like, and that should be paramount, mm-hmm. right? That should, be, that, that should be over and above anybody else's opinion or perspective on it. Right. That's the, the two plus two in the Word of God, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. the sum total you come to is up to you. You know, that's like you said, Ronnie, that's your free will. But he gives us everything we need to come to the right conclusion and bends over backwards in those statues to, to, to give every example that you could possibly come to, you know, broadly speaking, and what it would look like if you were obeying him. Right. And like I say, that just highlights that one. And I kind of glossed over do not murder. That's not do not kill. It's do not murder. We've, we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. There is a difference between murdering and killing. Right. You are allowed, and I think the statutes give an example in that as well. You, know, you are allowed to kill to defend yourself if it's necessary. That's not murder. Murder is different. I think we should all probably understand what murder or homicide is. Right. Right. Starting up again in verse 17. Do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. That's where the quote ends. So that's the end of the Ten Commandments. And then it says this in verse 18. All the people witnessed the thundering and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. So they didn't, they didn't respond to their fear by approaching like Moses did. They stood far off. So they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Don't let him. And again, that tells me that they just heard him speaking the Ten Commandments. They heard this audibly. In the context of Scripture, they heard him say this audibly to them. And they said they didn't want to hear from him anymore. They wanted the blessing. They didn't want the blessing giver. Right? Yep. So Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come to test you so that his fear may be in you so that you do not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Say this to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make, and then he reiterates this, do not make gods of silver alongside me and do not make gods of gold for yourselves. You are to make an altar of earth for me and there you will sacrifice your burnt offerings, your fellowship offerings, your sheep and your cattle. In every place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. I'm going to stop there because that's essentially the end of, of what I wanted to get across. The rest of it's that last couple of verses is just explaining how to approach him on the altar. 
But again, context here, he's speaking directly to them. Mm-hmm. And they hear this. And this, this is the agreement that we talked about. This is the if part. If you obey this, if you obey this, then you will be a kingdom of priests to me. Now, I think we kind of know the ending, but we're going to dig into the ending as the weeks progress anyway, because it's important. Now, they're already failing. Yes. Already. Yes. They've been failing ever since they left Egypt, like we've well, been talking about well, yeah, in the wilderness, right? But even right here in the verses that we read, they're already mm-hmm. throwing up red flags and failing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, you know, and it's not like they've done anything wrong yet. But they've given evidence of their heart condition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're yes. what you're referring yes. to. Like yeah. their their attitude about God. It was good that they didn't break out and try to run to him. Right? It was good that they 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 stood back and listened. But the heart condition of, oh, uh, we don't want to hear from him anymore. You go up, mm-hmm. you risk death, you listen to God, then you come back and tell him what he has to say for us. And just the way that, and I don't know what the sentence structure is like in Hebrew, but the way my translation word worded it, don't let God <laughs> do yeah, this again. Yeah, that's what mine said too. Oof. Like, yeah. like I say, I would have to do some study on what the Hebrew sentence structure is because sometimes it's different. Sometimes the Hebrew right. is difficult. So maybe that's not what was conveyed in Hebrew, but the way it sounds in English, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> it's almost like they're saying it in fear also. Mm-hmm. Right. Because don't let God come near us because then we're going to get struck dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And But still, you uh, should still have that one-on-one. Yeah. You I, should want that. You should definitely want that. Whether you take 10 steps forward and be like, I don't know, I'm pretty bad. So then you back up a little bit. Right. Yeah. But that's not what the context says. No, it's not. <clears throat> well, I think you teased that at when you said – you know, they said to Moses, you, you go up and, and you risk it. Yeah. Risk it all. Are you willing to risk it all to be closer to him? Like, mm-hmm. like that, like they're at the point where they're seeing this fire and brimstone and, and Moses walks right on up there without fear because he's already done that, right? He's already been through that fire and he was willing to risk it all to be closer to, to God. Mm-hmm. But they, down here, you know, they see all that and they're like, oh, this, okay, it got real. No, nah, I'm not willing to risk that. I'm not willing to risk my life for this. You go on up. I'm willing I to risk you. Yeah, yeah, I'm you. Yeah, saying. you're, yeah, you're expendable. I'm still out, you know, if something bad happens to you, I don't know. Yeah, but so that's what I'm saying. They're not, yeah. I think that's kind of the, one of the key issues is the heart condition. Yeah, but also that, yeah, you got to be willing to risk it all. When it highlights to me what it takes to to be like Moses, like we should want to be like Moses, to have that sort of relationship with with God, with with Yahweh, that we can talk to him like a friend. Mm-hmm. That's what he had. And he had that right. because he was willing to risk all. Right. right. He was one of those those rare individuals who was willing to risk all. It reminds me of what Paul said. And I forget where he says it, but approach the throne of grace with boldness. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's kind of what he has in mind there. Right. Approach the throne with boldness. And not approach only it like is- Moses did. Moses approaching God for himself, but he's also approaching for these people that he can obviously see is failing as well. Mm-hmm. We see that a couple different. Right. We obviously we didn't read it, but before this, in the context of Exodus, and we'll we'll see it after. We see him pleading with God a couple times. Yeah. The, the people are yeah. so, and I know that's what you have in mind. The people are so stiff-necked and so rebellious, and God's like, "I'm, I'm about done. Yeah. I'm about done with <laughs> these people." Right. And Moses is the one standing there. No. 
And you know the, the way he the way he and I think it's almost like God's way of testing where Moses' heart heart is too. Yeah. And he's like, no, what will the people say about you? Right. You know what I mean? What will the Gentiles say about you if you if you brought these people out of Egypt with all these signs and wonders and killed them in the wilderness? Well, it's also kind of like to put it in our perspective, it's like where us as dads are about done with the kids. Uh huh. Yeah. And our wives come in yeah. to plead with us. <laughs> To, uh, I talked to him a little bit, or vice versa. Yeah. It could be vice versa, right. where boys are rambunctious, and the us dads go in and be like, "No, I talked to him a little bit. Like, right. let's mm-hmm. chill out a little bit. We'll see how it goes." And then, of course, they act up again, and then throw their hands up and be like, "Yep, oh, I'm done." Yeah, right. like you guys did this yourself. There's actually a part. Sorry, there's actually a part. I think it's in Exodus 33 after the golden calf incident. And again, I don't know how it is in the, in the Hebrew and the sentence structure of it, but it words really funny to me in the English and they're going back and forth. And then Yahweh's, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but Yahweh's like, you know, I'm done with them. You know, I'm going to destroy your people, Moses, and then I'm going to make a new nation out of you. And then Moses is like, no, you told me, you told me to get your people out of Egypt. And it's like they go back and forth with yeah, your, your people. Your, like, yeah. like Yahweh's like, no, it's your people, Moses. Yeah. I'm sick of them. And Moses is like, hey, they're yours. You're the worst thing to get them. Right. It's like so funny to me right. in English. But Well, I, also, too, I want to say I, I feel like this is kind of a a picture of, you know, of, of God, know, of God giving us that choice of of. So he sets up. Or, you know, to to strike a term here that I've heard, he chalks the field right mm-hmm. of what of you know don't go past this point, you know set up set up the boundaries because I don't want my people to perish. So, and I I feel like I it almost feels like in his heart he's like I I hope that these people are like so excited and so willing to give up everything for this that they're gonna charge them out. Yeah. So All I right. got I gotta prepare for that. Or they're gonna get on the playing field. But, right. Yeah. But, yeah. But so stay I, on the sideline. Yeah. But yeah. I got to Yeah. I got to prepare for that. Right. But, you know, on the same point, like, you know, you, we know that he knows their hearts. Mm-hmm. So I'm so I can't help but think, does he does he say, OK, you know, and in, in his mind's eye, I hope they make the decision and I hope they make the right one. You know I think I mean? there, yeah, I know exactly. But I think there are times when he shows us outwardly what his heartfelt desire is for us, even while at the same time he knows the terrible, ter- the terrible choices we're actually going to make. Right. Right. And I think as maybe that's an example of this here, where he's showing us outwardly his desire is that excitement. Yeah. You know that that they would just be on fire for wanting that same right. sort of that they would see the relationship Moses have had with him and be like, I want that too. Right. You know what it I mean? Gives but them, knowing the that they're going to say, no, nah, Moses, yeah. you go up. I don't want that. Yeah. I'm sorry. See, I know. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you because you were, you said it a lot better than I said it. I mean, it's the same thing, but <laughs> no, you know, like he, like, but he, like, he gave them the opportunity. Like, you know, he, he saw, he foresaw like this could go where they all stormed the mountain that they're so excited. Yeah. So I better, you know, say, I better, you know, I better lay these terms down. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I said it, it's a, it's a, I don't say foreshadowing, but it's kind of a, another instance where he, even at this point, we had choices mm-hmm. as a people. And I think that's a good thing to to reiterate. You know, you already mentioned it, the, the free will part. You know, there's there's a lot of doctrines floating around that we don't actually have free will. But biblically speaking, we see it all the time. Right. We see evidence of free will all the time. And he wants us to make the choice. He could treat us like puppets on a string if he wanted to. Right. But like we've I think we've talked about before, Ronnie, on the Broken Record Ministries podcast. uh, That's not love. Nope. without choice, love doesn't exist. 
There's no such thing as love. Love can only be properly defined when there's a choice not to love. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And he wants us to make that right choice. That's where, you know, the if-then promise comes in. If you do this, if you abide by this covenant, I'm speaking verbally to you, these Ten Commandments and the statutes that are come after. If you just live according to this, if you just live according to this, then you'll have what Moses has with me. You'll all be a kingdom of priests. It'll be awesome. You know what I mean? He's right. promising so many blessings. You're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. People are going to desire what you have with me, and they're going to flow in, and it's going to grow. Right. That's the promise of the millennial kingdom, right? right. The new earth. Right. That's the promise of it. That's what we're going to have eventually, a kingdom of priests. This is the starting point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is him. You know, I think I've used the term marriage covenant. We talked about that in the beginning, defining terms. I think maybe for Americans, a better way to understand it is constitution. He's, he's showing us the constitution for the kingdom that he wants to build with us. That's what he's showing us here. This is the constitution for the kingdom of priests nation. Right. I was going to say kingdom, but right. I, would, I would have said it twice. Kingdom of priest kingdom. It would sound as stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he's showing us what his constitution is for it. Right. Right. If we adhere to it. Right. Obviously, we know the end of the story. We're going to get into that. I'm giving so many like things away. But it's kind of hard. Not, I, I, I just want to, I want to stress this because I think it's important and I think it's powerful and I think we need to treat it with more seriousness. This is what he was offering us then and this is what through Jesus he's offering us now. Yeah. It's the yeah. same starting point. Right. But we have got to take it seriously. Yeah. They These are did rules of the game. Yes. Yeah. He's like, very patient, like you said. Like, you know, he, he always wants us to return to come back, you know, a good father is patient, even when they're disciplining, even when, when they're stabbing you with a goad. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what it feels like, and a yeah. goad's not meant to be comfortable. Right. I, but we have I'm to make that, that choice. I'm glad that you made that, that analogy of chalk in the field, though, because it's almost like a game. Like, not a game, preferably, but like you have the fans in the stand. Mm-hmm. You have the players on the field, right? Yeah. And then you have people that just that don't care about it at all. That's working the concession stands. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you, you dig into it, that, it's a really good yeah. analogy. Yeah, it really is. It's a really good analogy for the body. Mm-hmm. You know, this, right. this kingdom of priests that he's building, that is the body. Mm-hmm. That is the church. It's the kingdom of priests that he's building for us. Right. When you look at individual believers and how each of us, tend to approach him mm-hmm. compared to how we should approach him. Right. You really see that. You see the ones that are just, you know, on fire for their team and they want the team to do well, telling everybody about the team. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably the majority of believers. You have mm-hmm. the ones playing on the field, like you mentioned. I would say that's, you know, like evangelist prophets, ones like that. You know, you or have being the, the hands and feet, even the hands and feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have coaches, you know, and like you said, you have, you have once the concession stand that, you know, they're there with the gear on, but they're just there because they want to get a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the end or, of the day, or they're, they're not, not even the caring team. of what's happening in said game. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they're just there checking the boxes, doing what they and need that, to do. Yeah. Of course, you have the other team, yeah, yeah the every, enemy yeah, playing every, against you. You have their fans. Every Sorry. once in a while, you hear a big cheer, and the people in concession stand go, "Hey, what's going on out there?" <laughs> I'm not that interesting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, like you know, they're just like you by. just said it as a throwaway analogy, but right. like it's a great analogy once you dive into it it is it is i say i love that book not a fan i know we brought it up before and i know it's like almost cliche to bring it up there's a lot of truth in that 
There's a lot. There's a lot of truth in that. And I, I recommend that to anybody. And right. I, I think we should really ask ourselves, where are we at? Are, are we like these people? You know what I mean? Who aren't taking any of this seriously. You know, who are saying, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll obey that. Because mm-hmm. that's what they said. They agreed. Yeah, we'll do that, God. No problem. We'll obey that. I don't want to be anywhere near you. Don't get me wrong, God. I don't want to approach you. I don't want to be in your presence. That's what your prophets are for. But I'll obey, I guess. Right. And as soon as you feel like his back is turned, you're straying away again. Right. We've, we, I, that's, that, that defines all of us at different points in our walk. Yeah. I would wager. We've got a battle against that. Right. Yep. We really do. I know this is a really abrupt place to cut off this conversation. It feels oh, really, it feels really abrupt. Though. But that's the nature of series. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have multiple topics. Next week, we'll dig into those statutes, 21 through 23. And again, be a lot of reading. So we're going to read through it because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna act like Moses, and we're going to read this in the presence of the people. Awesome. <laughs> right? So that we know where we're standing, and we'll discuss it as we go. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll get into the, the sad part. <laughs> yep. You guys got any final thoughts before I close this out? Um. Just real quick, I mean, I know it's kind of the the overall theme of tonight, but it's you know, and you hit on it too earlier. It's it's I, I shouldn't say I, it's really funny. It's it's ironic to me that you know we were really quick to to accept the terms when it was, hey, you're gonna get this really cool blessing, and we're like, oh yeah, great, mm-hmm. and then he immediately started laying out terms, and then immediately. Uh, well, that doesn't sound so great. Wait a minute. What have I done? Like we immediately started backstepping, you know, even with mm-hmm. just 10, 10, 10 simple commandments, we were already backsliding. So like you said, it's a, it's definitely something that we need to examine. I agree. Got anything running? Um, not really. Um, just strive to be better today than you were yesterday absolutely whatever that looks like yeah whatever that looks like for you individually mm-hmm. yeah because it's going to look different for all of us yeah you know we're all going to have different areas where we're where he's convicting us mm-hmm. where he's showing us that hey you can do better here mm-hmm. or you haven't paid any attention to this you can fix this or mm-hmm. study this out right. see what i have to say do that obey that you know when he's prodding you to, to dig into his word and to apply it mm-hmm. obey that as best you can day by day for my closing thought, I guess I want to, I actually, I do want to, I said I'd round back to that fourth commandment and I know we're going to have a standalone episode, but I do want to mention a couple things. So our main focus for this episode has really been the 10 commandments. That was really the main focal point was that agreement, that if then promise and what that, what, what the terms were and the terms of the 10 commandments. Right. And again, like I said before, almost all churches agree that they're relevant to us unless they're completely apostate. <laughs> they at least agree that hey and, and in principle at the very least they matter seems like really the major sticking point is that fourth commandment right there's so many different ways that, that different pastors and different churches and different church fathers view that and again we're going we're gonna to have a whole episode on that because it, it merits one I can't really do this justice in just a closing segment because there's so much information to it and it's important what I will say it's the only commandment, I don't know if you guys noticed that, it's the only one that he says remember. The only one. The only commandment where he specifies remember this. It's almost like he foresaw a time when we would forget it. 
And that's essentially what we've kind of done. When we talk about the Ten Commandments being relevant, we really don't treat that one like it is. We treat that like it's more of a ceremonial thing, a throwaway thing, a for the juice thing. Mm -hmm. The rest of them matter. But then when we come to that one, there are excuses, right? But he says to remember it. It's also the most repeated of the Ten Commandments in all of Scripture. Of all the commands that he repeats over and over and over again, it's not the command against idolatry. It's not the command against murder or adultery. The most repeated of the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath. When he says repeatedly throughout the prophets, on top of saying remember this, then he repeats it the most frequently. And going back to that word remember, it's an interesting word. It's actually, the in Hebrew, it's the word zakar. And it, it's more than just remember it in your mind, right? Like head knowledge. It carries, it's, it's an action word. It's action-oriented. It really conveys the message of remember with the intent to do something about what you remember. It's, 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 it's an imperative word, essentially, right? J- don't just know this intellectually. Know about this, remember this, and act upon what you know. It's essentially what that word means. And again, it's the only one that words it like that. The only one. And finally... In the scroll of the covenant, and I know I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but since I'm already talking about it, I might as well, right? In the scroll of the covenant that we've already talked about, we'll, we'll get into chapters 21 through 23 next week, but there's more to the scroll. The following chapters after that essentially detail how to build the tabernacle, and it's pretty long. The, the scroll of the covenant doesn't end until chapter 31. That's when he gets to the end of, of how, how to construct the tabernacle, all the articles that you make for the tabernacle so he can dwell in the midst of the people, right? Mm-hmm. And then chapter 31, the very end of the scroll of the covenant, it ends like this. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak now to the sons of Israel saying, surely, or round back to that word, by the way, and I'm just going to read this through first. Surely you must keep my Sabbaths for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so you may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it will die, for whoever does any work during the Sabbath, that soul shall be cut off in the midst of his people. Work is to be done for six days, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of complete rest. Be holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath will surely be put to death. So the Son of Israel is to keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work. When he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, Moses, he gave the two tablets of the testimony to Moses, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. That's how he ends that scroll. It's the only commandment from the Big Ten that he repeats. The only one he says to remember and then it's the only one at the end of the covenant that he repeats it again, a second time, after the statutes. And that word, surely, I said we'd round back to. In Hebrew, it's the word ach. Ach. It's very emphatic. We read that in English and we say, ah, oh, surely do this, right? It's such an emphatic term that some translations to convey that actually render it as above all. Above all, remember my Sabbath. It's a sign. Again, there's going to be more on that later because I think it's an important topic. 
right? I think it's the one sticking point that we have, right? That's been been handed down to us throughout the centuries, right, of Christian thought. I think it bears more study. So we're going to dig into it more. But I will say this. There is no scriptural basis for amending this commandment. I'll explain that in a few weeks. But there is no scripture you can point to that explicitly says this doesn't matter anymore. You can't find it. The people that do diminish or teach to diminish that or to alter this command, they have to do one of a few things. They have to hyper-spiritualize scripture about the Sabbath. They have to twist cherry-pick verses wildly out of context in relation to the Sabbath. Or they have to falsely claim it was only given to the Jews. And then when they're done doing that, they have to really almost exclusively depend upon the, so- the word of the, the church fathers about the Sabbath, centuries after the scripture was written. Almost every ar- argument you'll see about disregarding the fourth commandment, there'll be a quote for a church father that lived centuries later. And really just sort of like haphazard quotes about scripture and twisting it. I know that's harsh. I said in the beginning there would be some things that would be harsh. I'm just telling you the information. This is what the Bible says. This is what God says in the commandments. This is what God said at the end of the scroll. These are the Hebrew words that he chose to use to stress how emphatic he was about it. And then we have a complete absence of scripture telling us to disregard it. Two plus two. What's the sum? Five. You stole it. I was going to say three, five, or four. Darn you, Ronnie. You know me too well. Uh. <laughs> Again, I'm just here sharing the information. To, to close this out, I chose Isaiah. I think it's relevant to us. It's in a messianic context. Right, it says, Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse 1, and he says this. The Spirit of Yahweh God is on me, because Yahweh has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called oaks of righteousness the planting of Yahweh that he may be glorified they will rebuild the ancient ruins they will restore former desolations They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and shepherd your flocks. Children of foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you, you will be called the priests of Yahweh. They will speak of you as the ministers of our God. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray this has been a blessing to you. If you have any questions or feedback, find us on Facebook at that Philly Faith Fellowship and leave us a message. If you find value in our content, we ask that you would like and follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and share us with your friends. And as always, and most importantly, we encourage you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless. Talk to you later.
singing glory.